Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and thankfully, we have some wonderful people helping us along the way. Now, all kids get anxious about some things. In fact, anxiety is a perfectly normal response to something dangerous or stressful. We've talked about anxiety in the past, and in particular, fear with Dr. Andrea Umbach, as well as how to outsmart worry with Dr. Dawn Hebner. Anxiety itself becomes problematic when it prevents us from doing the activities we love and the normal everyday activities we have to do. Anxiety can show up without warning, get into our heads, and govern how we think, how we feel, how we act. And as you can imagine, or you may know firsthand, anxiety can feel terrible. And as a parent, teacher, or coach watching it take hold of a child, it can be confusing to know what to do, what to say, and how to help a child get through it. To help us know exactly how to handle anxiety in children, I'm delighted to be interviewing Karen Young. Karen Young has worked as a psychologist in private practice and in educational settings. She founded the popular website, Hey Sigmund, which attracts millions of readers each year. Karen is a sought-after speaker, both at home in Australia and internationally. She's the author of Hey Warrior, a book for kids to help them understand anxiety and find their brave. The book has been translated into a number of languages, and we couldn't be more thrilled to welcome her to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. So welcome, Karen, to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Well, I am really looking forward to it as well. I know you are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed because it is morning right there. And here I'm in my jammies all ready to interview you as it's the (laughs) night before. (laughs) So I'm so excited that, you know, we were able to find a time. But it's just so funny that we are on two totally different continents and two totally different days. It is. It's such a, it's a bit of a head spin, but but we did it. So that's the best thing. Yes, (laughs) we did it. So before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to read all of your articles and your book, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in helping kids cope with anxiety? It actually got personal for me. So when I was in private practice, I actually realized that a lot of people just needed the information and there are a lot of people who who need that support of of therapy but then when people have the right information they can do really great things with it and kids 
can do really great things with it. So the reason I started Hey Sigmund was to put out the information that we had as psychologists and therapists and make it really accessible um, to everybody, really. Um, you know, it's all about broadening social intelligence, emotion, emotional intelligence, psychological health, all of those really important things that will really build kids up to full flight. So that's why I did it. But the thing, so so I started Hey Sigmund as just a general um, you know, information. It was never really intended to be for kids. It was never intended to be about anxiety. But I think the path widens to send you where you're meant to go. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened to me. So my daughter was, um, she was 12 and she was moving from the junior school to the middle school, which is just um, across the road at her school. And she's she's at this really gorgeous school. It's a reasonably small um, girls school so it was just across the road and she always liked school so I get a lot of emails from people saying but there's no problem at school but my kids get really anxious about going or teary at drop off mm. but the teacher says there's no problems and and they like their teacher and they've got some friends and they're they're doing okay and that's what anxiety does it's a it's a sneaky little beast and mm. it doesn't necessarily have a real reason so she um just had to go from from the junior school on one side of the road to the senior school on the other and she started getting really anxious at the start of the year Mm. she didn't name it as anxiety she just named it she was getting tummy aches and headaches and just feeling teary for no reason so we were having these conversations and um and I just kind of thought oh you know it's a it's a new year it's a big year um she'll be okay and then um it actually started to generalize which is what anxiety can do Mm. so we were on our way to soccer one day and she said, Mum, I've got that feeling again. And I um, and I knew what it was mm. And because she loved soccer. It was her thing and she loved the other girls in her team. She loved her coach. It was really – there was nothing bad about soccer to trigger anxiety. And so then we had the conversation about it. And do you know I actually missed it? So I tell people this because I think as parents we can often whip ourselves when we don't mm. – get it right all the mm-hmm. time so she had this anxiety and I was going I don't oh maybe she just needs more sleep or maybe she just does and my husband said to me um you know we've got to get this this sore tummy checked out and mm-hmm. as soon as he said that I just went oh no I know exactly what it is and I said you know no this isn't a tummy thing this is an anxiety thing and I need to talk to her about it and I think when it's your own kids they're not going to do therapy with me so I, all the things that I used to do um we actually know a lot more about the brain now too which is a really great thing um you know so i just had to have a mum daughter chat with her about it really gently um and i said do you get this 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 this?" and we went through the symptoms do you get um do your muscles feel tight sometimes do you sometimes feel like you just want to burst into tears do you get a sick tummy do you get butterflies yeah 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 and i said you know, I think you've got this thing called anxiety and we went through it. And then I said to her, so really, it's nothing to worry about. It's really normal. And I had the full conversation with her and I said, but this is how it works. And and we went through the full um, description about anxiety and soccer is a 15 minute trip. So this all happened in 15 minutes. It mm-hmm. wasn't like a discussion. And then I said, um, so there's some things you need to do. Exercise is really great, but you're getting that at soccer do mindfulness because that changes your brain and it'll quiet that 
warrior amygdala that's trying to look after you and protect you but is doing it a bit too much and it'll strengthen that front part of your brain that can actually help calm the amygdala. And so we used all the right words and I said, and the other thing you need to do is breathe because that um, switches off, it calms your amygdala. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure how it had landed, but then two weeks later she came back to me and she said, Mum, that stuff you said's really helped me. And, and she did mindfulness in that two weeks. And so that was when I kind of thought, Oh, okay, because I think when they tell you at 12 that something's working, then it's working. You know, they're really honest at that age. And so then I just started, um, I said to her one night, are you okay if I write about, write about this on my website? And it was when my website was quite new and I said to her, not many people read my website, mm. so it's okay. And then that was the article that did it for me. <laughs> so, and then the book came off that. And I think... You know, when I thought about it, I thought, well, it makes sense because kids want to know how their bodies work. They want to know why, 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 why does it feel like this? Why is this happening to me? Why is it happening when there's nothing to feel worried about? Why do I feel worried mm -hmm. like this when I know everything's okay? Why do I feel like I'm going to vomit? Why? And that conversation put everything in context. Mm -hmm. It all puts the strategies, it makes the strategies make sense because if you say to someone just do mindfulness, they won't necessarily do it unless, you know, they know why. Mm -hmm. Same with breathing. So it made things make sense. So that's kind of the long story mm -hmm. of how I came on the anxiety. And I still write, you know, about everything, but anxiety is my thing because I got personal. Right, right. When it gets personal and you're both the parent and the expert, it certainly collides and you have such insight. You know, so many of the things that you said really triggered a lot in me. And we know that anxiety happens to so many people. But what do you think is the answer of why anxiety happens in children? And, and what do the children really need to know about anxiety what would you say would be the top things that they really need to know about anxiety so um first as to as to as to why it happens mm -hmm. some kids are just more vulnerable so the most important thing first that i want parents to know is parents don't cause anxiety because kids the vulnerability is there um it also comes with a lot of strength so if you if, if, you know, if you're going to um, feel bad about the anxiety, then you have to take credit for the strengths these kids have as well, and there are billions of them. Um, hmm. it, it's, it's nature-nurture, so there, there is the, um, the vulnerabilities there, but then sometimes in the environment it can, um, you know, it can bring it out more. So things like um, really loving parents can do things inadvertently like, like um, support avoidance or it do mm -hmm. things that seem to be supporting kids but actually it's supporting anxiety and I want to say I've done all of them mm -hmm. myself because we get desperate as parents sometimes and you know you just you just do things uh, so avoidance but, like oh you get nervous when you are around whatever person or dog or whatever and yeah. you then don't go around that particular person or that dog yeah. right yeah okay so you organize the environment to basically um 
you know, you organize the environment to accom- to to accommodate. Mm-hmm. And that's a really loving thing to do, but it actually can make anxiety worse because the brain changes through experience and strengthens through experience. So the more kids are exposed to experiences that confirm that avoidance feels good, the more that wiring will will strengthen around the only way I can feel safe is to avoid. Mm, so interesting, and so, yes, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so anxiety, because anxiety is just there to protect us. It's not a bad thing. It feels bad, but it's actually there to help us and look after us and that's why we need it we just need it not to be there when we don't need it so if your brain is wiring in a way that forces that that's that's um driving avoidance then that anxiety will get more fierce in those situations Mm -hmm. so and then it can start to generalize to other situations so if it's if it's you know avoidance of um uh, of unfamiliar people at school that can generalize to lots of things so I don't want to try out for the soccer team because I'm not sure how it's going to be or mm-hmm. avoidance of anything which isn't as predictable or as under our control um, but you know we can manage that we can turn it around mm-hmm. we just need the right information mm-hmm. so that's why I could say um, but the anxiety was already there so it's not like parents created that the anxiety or the vulnerability to anxiety was already there Mm -hmm. so to kids i would say i think it's really important that kids understand the emails i get um from teens not so much the littles but the teens you know from 10 on i get emails and they say there are two things they say um i feel like i'm the only one Mm. who happens to and i feel like a bit of a freak oh Um, yeah i know and the other thing that i hear is um I don't know who to talk to. I don't know who to tell. I'm embarrassed about it. Right. Or I did try to tell somebody, but they just said that I just need to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, just get over it. Right. Yeah. That's and helpful. I think that's a, ref- yeah, I think that's a reflection though of how helpless people can feel in yeah. the fact, like parents, you know, it's like, well, I know you're telling me this and I love you and I want to help you, but I don't know what to do, you know? So I, it's not, it's not necessarily um, being dismissive, but more, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what to do to help you. And I know I've been in that position before. I go, I just don't know, not with anxiety, but, you know, other things. And I go, I don't know, I don't know what to do. So, you know, you really just need to move through this because there's no easy answer mm-hmm. um, if I don't have, um, you know, what it takes to um, deal with it. Right, because people just assume that the experience of going through it will prove to that child that they had nothing to be nervous about in the first place. That's right. And, and you know, that's what we want. We want to encourage brave behavior, but it has to be brave behavior with a scaffold, brave behavior with information, brave behavior with support mm-hmm. so that they they can um, understand why they're feeling like it. So that takes the fear away, takes away the anxiety about the anxiety and their strategies that they can put in place while they're going through it. So the things I'd want kids to know are this is a really normal human response. Anxiety means that your brain's doing exactly what strong, healthy brains are meant to do, which is keep you safe. Mm-hmm. So it's happening a bit too often and a bit too much when you actually don't need protecting. Um, so, And the thing about that too is because... You know, back when we were cave people, they probably would have been the leaders of the pack because that that capacity to detect threat would have been would have kept everybody safe. It's mm-hmm. the reason we survived for so long. The difference now is back then the threats were physical, so that response 
would be there when there actually probably was a need for fight or flight. The difference now is the threats are more psychological, still is real and fierce and um, frightening, but it's threats of, you know, humiliation, embarrassment, separation, loss, grief, um, not grief, loss. Um, mm -hmm. But all of those things that we all struggle with as humans, um, but it can go boom for, for, for people with anxiety and really... Um, cause trouble but there's no reason for fight or flight so you're stuck in a situation where your body's gearing itself for action but there's no action needed and that's where all the horrible the horrible physical symptoms come from so it's a really so kids need to understand it's actually it, they're not broken and and it's really normal and everybody gets anxiety it's at on some level before an exam before an interview it's really normal but it's just happening too much they also need to know that it's manageable and that there are things they can do and i think that that speaks to the um you know am i i feel alone i don't know what to do mm. but also probably more that's what the important adults in their lives need to know is is what to tell them or um you know about the strategies this is this is what you need to know and this is what what you do and you need to be patient with these strategies because your brain's pretty great at this fight or flight thing so it might take a while to turn it around but it will so before we get into the the scaffold and the strategies which i'm absolutely incredibly interested in i just want to put high beams on one area that you had mentioned that it seems like often when kids are anxious about something that if they don't necessarily say hey mom dad teacher coach i'm anxious about something it comes mm -hmm. out in in different ways and and one of the things you said was it can come out as a bellyache but i'm just wondering if you yeah. could tell us for those listening how else it could come out so that we can be ready when we see a child perhaps have either a physical or a behavioral response mm -hmm. and maybe they don't even know that it's anxiety just like your daughter but we can maybe put a name to it at the time when we see it that's a really great question so there's a few things that it can look like so it can look like the physical symptoms it can look like um the you know tummy aches um headaches because because anxiety can hurt because it's physically you know it's it's draining and it's it's a physiological response um it can also look like avoidance so but the avoidance isn't always obvious so it can be things like um you know i don't want to try out for the drama um club or i don't want to go to school or i don't want to go to the party i don't want to go to grandma and granddad's um for a sleepover it can look like a, that sort of avoidance mm -hmm. but then there's the less obvious avoidance which um it's things like kids might say, no, I'm just going to go to the library at lunch because they they might not want to expose themselves to, well, I don't even know which group of friends to go to mm -hmm. and that would be really embarrassing if they said no to me, so I'm just going to avoid all of that because that's, you know, that's a threat. Mm -hmm. It can be a threat to a brain that's anxious and I'll go to the library. It can also look like perfectionism, which is not so much perfectionism is driven by anxiety and it's not so much about wanting to be perfect but about wanting to, wanting to avoid the, uh, 
the the any consequences of not being perfect so mm. making a mistake or um getting it wrong or, or having or judgment or so feeling embarrassed and feeling yeah. like you're going to make a fool out of yourself yeah so it can look like that thing of doing work um over and over sometimes it's not getting work finished or spending way too long on homework or working class um and that's because they just keep doing it over and over to get it right it can look like not even attempting things because it's easy not to get it wrong if you don't attempt it exactly now the uh, yeah the other important ways anxiety can um show itself anxiety is fight or flight so fight's the avoidance we know that but it's also fight the amygdala, which looks after anxiety, which is responsible for, um, you know, the anxiety response, mm-hmm. the fight or flight response, also is in charge of, of, of big emotions like sadness and, and anger. So at the, when, when kids are anxious, that amygdala is switched to high volume. Um, and so emotions will be too. So kids might throw, Kids might really um, get really angry, or it might be a tantrum, um, or or um, or they might get really aggressive, mm. and that can actually be driven by anxiety. Now, the thing is, if you treat that as bad behaviour, that's going to make the anxiety worse, and it's going to make the response worse. It might settle it, you know, in the moment, but it's not going to fix the problem. So it's really important to recognize that and the way to um it can also look like before i go into that it can also look like kids bursting into tears for no reason Mm -hmm. and that's because that sadness is switched to high volume so they might not know why they're sad but when you're crying you you know that you start to feel that sadness anyway Mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean their sadness there it can actually be anxiety so if they're on their way to to school and they burst into tears that can be the work of anxiety Mm. now if it's anxiety it's likely that there'll be other signs so there'll probably be the the worrying thoughts which are what if but what if you don't pick me up on time but what if what if what if i don't have anyone to play with Mm um and like somewhere in there not necessarily in the moment but somewhere in there um there might be sick tummies, butterflies, um, tense muscles, headaches, rosy cheeks. Um, that that's a clue that all this stuff is being um, driven by anxiety. Mm. So it can it's got a few different ways of showing itself in school. It can actually be the class clown, and they look like sometimes the most confident kids in class. But it's a way to distract from the worrying thoughts because worrying thoughts are so. Per- just pervasive Mm -hmm. and intrusive Mm -hmm. and it's a way it's actually a really creative adjustment kids have made to um to pull out of that so i can imagine that the people who are listening right now i mean i i can feel it in my own self because i'm thinking i am certain that i've made this mistake before uh that you know my child was angry or upset or saying things like I hate you or I'm not going or whatever and then you're addressing the behavior at that time because you're in a rush and you're a parent and you're not perfect um so please anybody who's listening we get it we're all there we're all with you I've done it myself myself so many times right we all do it it makes no difference how much how much we know about this absolutely we're all human. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> if that does happen, 
And we see that behavioral response and we remember this podcast and we think Mm -hmm. to ourselves, this is probably not a bad behavior circumstance. This is not Mm -hmm. defiance to be defiant because children really do not want to get in trouble like this. No. Um, What is it that we can do in that circumstance, in the throw of the, the tantrum, in the, you know, in the situation where the child does burst in tears, what do we do in that situation? Or what do we not do in that situation? So all we can do is um, respond to the, all, all that, all, kids don't want to be bad. Kids mm-hmm. don't do stuff. Um, it looks like bad behavior, but all of their behavior is driven by a need. It's a really messy way to meet the need, but it's all driven by a need. Kids don't do this stuff just to to cause trouble. Right. There's a reason for it. And they're still growing and they're still learning um, self-control. So they're going to get it wrong and we get it wrong. You know, we lash out at times Absolutely. or we'll say the wrong sure. You know, so of course they're going to. So when they're in it, when that, when kids are in that high emotion, and actually when any of us are in high emotion, the the thinking brain, the prefrontal cortex, is actually overwhelmed, and it it kind of goes offline. So it's not there to take in, and that's the part of the brain that can um, problem solve and think through through consequences and actually take in rational, logical information. Right. So forget about trying to reason. You, exactly. You just it's, not, it's not going to do anything because they, the part of the brain that can do something with it is out to lunch. Yeah, my, so, my, my, one, of my, uh, one of my best friends who's also a, a child psychiatrist and who's been on the, the podcast talking about uh, ADHD, but she talks about it as a, a gate comes down and you're not going to get through that gate for about not. 20 minutes. So you just you have exactly. to wait it out. Yeah. Absolutely. And brains are really good at, at what they do. So they, it will just do, if it thinks that this is what needs to happen and it, it's, you know, in this, in this fight or flight mode, you're not going to get through. And at the same time, you know, once it, once a child is overwhelmed with this emotion, we just need to ride the wave mm-hmm. with them. What they need in that moment, one of the jobs of emotion is to recruit support. So if it's happening in front of you, you're the support. Right. When what they need to hear is that we get it and it feels we need to put boundaries around the behavior and and there needs to be that conversation. They can't just, you know, do this whenever they want to, but there's a time for that and it's not in the thick of the emotion. So what we need to do is let them know that we get it. I can see you're really angry right now. Um, I'm just going to stay here with you. I want to hear what you need. Let me know when you're ready for that because we Mm. don't want to leave them out there on their own. Sure. We need to keep them safe. So if they're throwing things or, you know, if they're um, um, (laughs) – my son used to do it at the – he's 20 now. He doesn't do it anymore. But he used to do it at the top of the escalators in a shopping centre, always at the top of the escalator. Of course. (laughs) Maximum impact. And so (laughs) – <laughs> just drop and flop and on the floor and start. Mm-hmm. And you just have to, I just have to pick him up and take him to the car and that's where we would, you know, do this. So you take them to a place. Sometimes, you know, you you might, especially with older kids, say to them, 
do you want me to stay with you or or do you need some space? Mm. And and they might say, I hate you, you need to go away, I don't want anything to do with you, this is the reason you've made me feel like this and, and all the rest of it. So you just, you know, step away and give them the space but not out of reach of them mm-hmm. because so, so that's not, that's, you know, you're responding to what they want. So you just go, I'm just over here. Tell me when you want me. Tell me when you're ready and I'm and I'm right here for you. So the whole time we're really um, respectful mm. of them mm. as humans because if we're in that space, we might not want people in our face. Mm. We might not, we might just want to be left alone to just right. do the, oh, that thing that we need to do. Right. But we don't want to be feel isolated and alone either and we certainly don't want to feel it as rejection which is what you know traditional timeout um does so it's more about just you know honoring them um that they do feel and that it is big so the whole time we're just validating and saying i really understand that you're really angry i, I want to understand where this is coming from and i want to understand what you need I, I can't hear you when you're doing this and I can't I can't understand what you want when you're screaming like this but when you're ready to talk tell me and and I'll be here then you know the emotion will always go they're not going to stay in that high emotion mm-hmm. for ever. um and then when it goes that's a conversation and so they'll you know they'll have their turn and we always get more I think by listening than by speaking so first of all we need to listen because that opens the door and it opens minds and and then then that's when we also say you know when we've heard them and go I understand I, I would feel really angry about that too I really get why why you're angry I'm making you go to school and and you don't want to go to school or I'm making you you know try it for the soccer team and and you don't want to it's really hard isn't it when you have to do things that that you don't want to do I understand that and then you can have the rational conversation with them. But you know, it's not okay to to behave like this. It's not okay, it's not okay to do this. It's it's okay to be angry. Whatever you feel is always okay, but you need to be really careful um, what you, you do with it. And then you can discuss the strategies like, you know, breathing or the um one of the ones is the um, you know, taking some space and imagining the um thoughts and feelings like the angry thoughts forming into clouds and then letting them float away and that will take practice um or just if they need to separating themselves because breathing will always um bring back that prefrontal cortex and it initiates the relaxation response and then you know you say it doesn't mean you're not going to be angry and it doesn't mean that it's going to make whatever's making you feel bad go away but it actually makes you a lot more powerful because it means that People are more likely to listen to you and going to be more able to talk about what you need. And the thing I say to my kids is you actually lose power when you use that high emotion in a bad way because people aren't going to hear you and people aren't going to listen to you. Now, that's a conversation that takes years. You know, like you, you have this conversation for years and years. It doesn't mean that when you have this conversation or when you name the emotion um, because we know that naming emotion starts to soothe the nervous system and you know it's it's helps here your recruits here I'm here I'm here Um, so that amygdala can start to go off you we're going to be okay Mm -hmm. Um, it's not an instant fix but it will start the you know the downward um, the 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 wave will start to 
flattened slowly. It also doesn't mean that next time they get anxious or in the same situation, they won't do the same thing. But they're kids and and they have a long time to learn this and we have a long time to teach it. I think the most important thing is not to take their behavior personally because everything they're doing is, you know, an opportunity to teach them um, better ways to behave. So it's not a reflection on us as, as parents. Um, and I think sometimes if we take their bad behavior personally, that shame can really shut down an effective response and it stops us seeing them as, um, you know, as their own people who actually need this information before they can move forward. So we can kind of um, come in and, and try to extinguish the behavior without explanation That's and without so giving yeah. Very interesting. And, and I'm listening to you both as, as a parent and as a, a child development specialist, because I, I think what you're saying is, is monumentally important that you recognize that your child is a human being. They're going through a normal response. It's not about you. It's going to come mm -hmm. out in all different ways that sound like that it is about you some of the time. I hate yeah. you. You're terrible. You're the worst mom. I wish, you know, whatever. I, I, I wish I was never here. I, you know, it, it can, it can sound like slamming doors and, you know, it's, it's horrible yeah. screams and, and cries. And, and so it can feel very personal and it's yeah. hard to remove yourself from that and to say, this is not about me and I'm here for you, especially when you feel like you're being treated like garbage. You know, you, you it really can be very challenging to put yourself in that situation, be like, hey, I'm here for you. And then recover, you recover as a parent or as a teacher or as a coach who, that has been treated poorly in that situation to recover and be able to bounce back and not feel angry. You know, it, it's, it's really Absolutely. a tough, tough position. But also that idea, I think, um, of, but am I pandering to them? Am I just, am I just making it too easy for mm -hmm. them to behave like this in the future? Right. And to that I go, because they don't want to behave like this. They don't, the, the, the issue, it's, it's not, they don't have option B, C, D yet. They're still learning that. So our job as parents is to give them those options. So when you're angry, this is what happens. But do you know what? It will only happen with that with connection because that they they won't learn if they feel disconnected from us. So if we don't recognize that and if we don't respect that and 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 give them what we would need in the same situation, which isn't someone getting preachy and judgy and critical, because that will actually probably more drive a defensive the behavior well I wouldn't be or you need this. to calm down like you need to calm down right now <laughs> this exactly. doesn't work very well <laughs> I don't think it's in the history of forever it's worked and it's not going to work with our kids you know and then when they get to adolescence you know the same thing happens so we start to see this big behavior again and that's all part of where they're at in their development what their brains you know the, the changes that are happening in their brains I think if we could see inside their heads when they do this we'd it'd be really easy for us to sit there and go okay I really get this and I want to be there for you I get it we it can be tempting sometimes to feel like we need to 
um, you know, um, just just stomp the behaviour out, mm-hmm. but then they don't learn. We we need to keep that influence and that connection, and that will only happen when they feel respected and loved, and when they feel that that sense of warmth from us. They don't want to be doing this. The kids that keep doing it are the ones who will get ignored or, or you know, rewarded for the behaviour. We're not rewarding them. We're, we're, we're coming in, we're validating them. And what we're actually doing is moving them into a space where they can actually hear the really important information that we need to give them about their behaviour and about what to do next time. That's what we're doing. And they won't do that if they feel um, disconnected from us or if they feel disrespected by us or not seen by us. Right, so right. it's all part of the, um, it's all about, you know, increasing our influence and that's what we want and maximising it. We do it through connection. Even we don't listen to people we don't like very much. And in that moment, they don't like us. They love us. They don't like us. And we're shifting them to, you know, a zone where it's not so much about like, but where they feel respected by us. We, we listen to people we respect and who we feel respected by when there's that mutual um, respect and validation and connection and that opens them wide up to what we have to say and opens them wide up to our influence. This is a, it's a beautiful point. I, I, I was talking to both Dr. Lynn Kenny and, and Wendy Young at different times who, who concentrate on big feelings and, and younger children often. And, you know, they talk about the conversations that you can have before during and after these these things are happening. And I'm wondering that once this kind of thing happens, let's say that there was a very big response and then mm-hmm. you did talk to them after about, you know, you, you, you know I understand the, we can't have this kind of behavior. So then what is the thing we can do the next time? So now we're getting up for school again or now we're going to the basketball game again or we're going to the dentist again Mm -hmm. and you know what happened the last time so then what is the what's the scaffold that isn't you know playing into it but Mm -hmm. yet providing them with what they need in order to feel safe and comfortable the next time so I think what they need is the information about what happens um, to drive those those um, big emotions. If it's you know if it's anxiety driven, which a lot of this um, big behaviour is, um, it's so they need to um, understand that when you so there's a part of so 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 if it's say if it's anger driven by um, you know, anxiety, you're making me do something I don't want to do and I'm really angry about it. Um, the conversation they all need before beforehand, and this has to happen in calm times, is about what their brain does during big emotion. So when you when there's something when your when your brain feels like there's um, something that might hurt you when there's a threat and missing out on something you need, not being allowed to you know, do what your friends are doing, um, having to do something you don't want to do, um, which might expose you to criticism or, or judgment or, you know, failure, that's all a threat. So you have to um, adapt it to whatever the situation is. Um, what your brain does is, and then we go into um, 
the there's a part of your brain called the amygdala. It's like a fierce warrior and it's there to protect you. It's a small, um, a really small part of your brain. But you need to be the boss of it. Mm-hmm. Because when it senses that something's um, going to hurt you, it will actually surge you with this neurochemical fuel to get you ready to fight or flee, which is fight. You get angry and and really, and you can be aggressive and say things you don't mean or you can flee, which is you might sulk or um, just want to go into your, you know, avoid, you'll refuse to do what you need to do. One of the things that happens with that neurochemical fuel, and, and when there's a real threat, that's a really great thing because there'll be times, you know, that you want to get out of the way of something or you want to feel really, um, you know, you, you want to fight not physically and verbally, but you, you want to, you know, stand against something that that is that is that is crossing your boundary but when it's actually a safe thing and possibly a thing that's really good for you one of the other things that happens with this um it's like a special body fuel is it actually sends your thinking brain kind of to sleep Mm. and that's because in that moment your brain doesn't want you to think too much about whether you should do it the consequences of what you're doing it actually just wants to get you safe Mm. So if it thinks that you trying something new might end in judgment or criticism or you might, um, you know, you might look silly, it'll try and protect you. And that's, you know, that's a really good thing. But one of the ways it does this is by shutting down your thinking brain because it says, well, we don't want you to think about the consequences and we don't want you to think about whether or not it's actually going to happen we just want you to get safe and probably the best thing to do is to avoid it, not do it. And probably, you know, we'll give you all of this super body fuel so that you can fight anyone who makes you do it. And that can come out as the verbal flashing or, you know, for, for little kids, they're so strong when they're, um, you know, when they're in that, in that space and when they're thrashing around. That's all, that's all because of, um, you know, this super body fuel. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what you need to do is actually be the boss of your brain because your brain is really smart but it can read things wrong sometimes and it will see things as a threat when it's not a threat when actually it's really brave it'll you know it's it's not going to hurt you it's going to be something that'll be really um a really great thing for you potentially but also sometimes things are worth the risk because that's how you train your brain to do brave things so the more you avoid it the more you're telling your brain well that's okay you can just control when i do this stuff and and i'll leave it to you so what you need to do when this is happening is be the boss of your brain because otherwise it'll land you in loads of trouble Mm -hmm. if you do the best way to be the boss of your brain is actually to breathe because the first thing that happens when this fight or flight um, response is happening is you start breathing short, sharp breaths. Mm-hmm. And and that's so your body can um, save, your body saying to your or your brain saying to your body, don't use up oxygen on slow, deep, strong breaths because we might need to send it to the muscles so they can fight or flee. Mm-hmm. Now, when that happens, um, you know, that's that kind of starts the cascade of, of effects. So when you breathe deeply, when you take strong, deep breaths, 
that is sending a message to you. It starts to calm that fierce warrior amygdala in you and it starts to let that amygdala know that you're in charge now, that you've got this and that you can handle this. Mm-hmm. And because your, your, your brain will always listen to you but you need to, um, you need to give it some instruction sometime. Right. So that, but that conversation has to happen when you're calm right. because, you know, like I said, they can't take it. So, and, and start to talk to them about what's your first clue when you're about to get angry? What's your first clue? Is it, and they, they might not know, mm-hmm. but just if you give them the language, it starts to turn their attention um, to it because there will be a series of things that happen what's happening at the moment there's a thought and a response and it's very quick it's very very quick so we want to try and expand that and there'll be signs in their body there'll be sensations that are giving them a clue that i'm about to get really angry or i'm about to do you know behave in a way that probably won't be good for me it might be a racy heart Mm -hmm. it might be um they might feel warm in their face it might be just this extra energy like they can just you know that's making them fidgety or um, and it's and it's about starting. To, so there can be a conversation about that, mm-hmm. um, and it's really about just starting to tune their awareness in and to teach them that they can actually change this. And then the thing to say is, so when that happens, um, start to take strong, deep breaths. So you can imagine you've got a cup of hot cocoa and you you um, breathe out first, and then you smell it for three, hold it for one and blow it cool for three Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you won't feel angry you might still feel angry if there's something there that's upsetting you but what it lets you do is it lets you stay powerful enough to deal with it in a way that will be better for you because no one is going to listen to you when you're you're not going to get what you need when you're screaming or when you're um, you know, being mean to people or or, or or saying things that don't land well. So what we want to do is find a way that you can actually keep your power and hold on to it and use it in a way that's going to get you more understanding and more um, likely to get what you need. And, and we can talk about it. It doesn't mean you, you're not going to, you, you're going to be able to avoid doing things that you don't want to do. But what it's going to mean is you're actually in control of what your body's doing and what your brain's doing, and you're more likely to have influence when when you're not lashing. So out. is that where the the mindfulness piece comes in? Then is that is that so, where you know where you would talk about mindfulness and and really being present in your body? Yeah. So what mindfulness? I think all kids should do mindfulness. I think if it's if there's one thing all kids um, do, it should be mindfulness. What mindfulness does, and the way you can explain it, is um, when you when your brain thinks that there's something that's going to hurt you, it just it will react, and before you know it, you're screaming or saying horrible things. What mindfulness does is it actually starts to expand the space so that you can have a thought or a feeling like you're going to get angry but there's a, there's there's more of a gap between that and the response so you've actually got those those really precious moments to decide do I want to start saying this stuff do I want to start um, thrashing around do I want to run away and hide in my room 
or do I want to stay powerful and do I want to have influence? What mindfulness does is it actually um, decreases activity in the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that is going that's that senses threat. So it's like, well, you know, it's the part of the brain that um, it's like that fierce warrior part of the brain. It increases activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that can actually control or calm big emotion and think of consequences and, and problem solve. So what would be a better plan than the one which involves me um, getting into trouble? Mm-hmm. It also strengthens the connection between the two because when, when the connection between them is strong, the messages travel faster. So it's, it, it's, it's less likely to keep that gate that, that gate's going to be slower to come down. Right. So the amygdala is saying to the prefrontal cortex, um, this is a threat, you better get out of here because we need to deal with that. The prefrontal cortex is more able to say, actually, no, there's a better way to deal with this. You need to sit out and let me take control of it. Mm. So it's that um, flow backwards and forwards of information. It also, um, the other great thing about mindfulness um, in relation to anxiety, which can drive these big feelings, is Anxiety is future thinking. So it's, but what if this happens? What if I'm forced to do this thing and I get really embarrassed and then everyone hates me and I'm, um, you know, I'm alone for the rest of my life? Oh, gosh. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know how their stories end, but, you know, they're, they're fierce. Mm-hmm. They, sure. They, they, they don't even need to make sense for the brain to react to them. You right. know, that's the brain will just react. What mindfulness does, that's all future thinking and anxiety is future thinking. What mindfulness does is it trains the brain to stay in the present. So right now I'm safe. Right now this is what's happening and it's less likely to um, engage in all that catastrophic thinking. Um, So that's where, and mindful, there's so much research. Mindfulness has has been shown to just be so powerful in strengthening kids against anxiety and and increasing their self-control with these big feelings. It's really extraordinary. But again, that conversation has to happen with their calm, when they're calm. And again, you know, a week of mindfulness isn't necessarily going to stop these big feelings. But what, what we need to remember is we've got these um, kids in our hands for a long time. So we've got time for them to learn this stuff. The main thing is that the conversations and the connection and influence are there so that we can actually um, have the conversations in a way that are heard by these kids. You know, it's funny because I just I just wrote an article recently on anticipated homesickness. So, yeah. you know, the idea that <laughs> mainly because my own kids, um, especially my daughter, has anticipated homesickness when it comes to a sleepover or, uh, you know, sleeping out of the house, going on an overnight, going to camp, you know, in terms yeah. of, uh, especially if she's going to be away from me for an extended period of time. So mm-hmm. it, I, it really resonates with me when you're saying that it's future thinking, because it is, this is not mm-hmm. happening right now. Yeah. You, you're, you're not in camp. You're not at a sleepover. And yet, you are worried that you will be homesick, that you will miss me, and that you are going to want to come home, and that you're going to have to pee in the middle of the night and nobody's going to be there, that you are going to be uh, lonely, you're not going to know where your stuffed animal is, whatever it is, that 
yeah. all of this future thinking that happens. So in the, or, or with the sense of, you know, the kids who are nervous about going to the dentist, they're not in the dentist chair. They're mm. thinking about how they will go tomorrow. And I, I know my friend says to me, you know, she doesn't even tell her son that she, they're going to the doctor until that mm. morning because otherwise yeah. he won't sleep the night before. So, so what you're saying, it sounds like, is that if they're able to practice mindfulness and, and say to themselves, all right, I'm safe now. This is my current yeah. situation now. And stay in the moment instead of being doing this catastrophic thinking and this sort of future thinking this anticipated worry that mm-hmm. they'll they'll mm-hmm. be able to conquer a lot of the anxiety that they feel well the thing is they might still get anxious mm-hmm. because that brain is still going oh I'm not sure about this this could be risky but 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 they need to understand because the thing about anxiety is the feelings and the thoughts feel real. And the reason it's so hard to um, to respond as parents is because they're they're often plausible. Right, they are. You might lose your toy in the middle of the night and, you know, and that might happen. And um, often separation anxiety is around, well, what if something happens at home while I'm not, well, while I'm not around? Right. Well, well. You say, but we're safe. We're going to be okay. They go, but it might, but it might. And you can't, you know, there's... And you can't say it won't happen because that's that's not helpful either. No. So there are two things. What they need to understand is even though the thoughts and feelings feel so validate, that's a really scary thought for you. I really get that. And actually it happens to me. Mm -hmm. I worry about that too. But do you know what I've learned? I've learned that when I'm actually in the situation, I can actually handle anything. I can handle when things, when unexpected things happen um, at camp or when there's something, you know, that I didn't predict. I can actually handle it. I understand that you probably won't believe me and you probably won't believe me when I say that you'll be okay through this and you don't have to. But just be aware that where this is coming from is your brain is getting you ready just in case. It's just in case. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's a thought. It's not a prediction. And your brain is really good at protecting you. And it probably, it's why um, kids with anxiety are often really organized and because they, they've, they've been looking around the corner since they knew that corner was coming and they're anticipating. So they're planning for, you know, all different sorts of um things that can happen so you know it comes with its strength so then is it part of it to be to ask them because i certainly have done this with my own daughter and said what what will make you feel more calm and less scared what can you do for yourself what is the thing what can you have with you what can you do in advance that will help you yeah and if they say nothing i think um because some of them do they go well nothing because if it happens it's just going to be a disaster and I'm going to be really sad and you know nothing can help me and then the thing to say is you know your brain is really good at telling you that things could go wrong you've got a really strong brain what you need to do is be the boss of that and Mm -hmm. and it's about um tweaking their self-talk because at the moment their self-talk is if this happens it'll be a disaster and I won't cope 
So slowly and gently, and again, this is something, you know, that takes time to develop, we need to work on there. I understand it's really scary for you and I understand it's it's a, it's a real worry for you. I get that. Um, and I feel it too when I'm away from home. I, if, if there isn't anything that you think can help, I, I, I want you to know that I know you're brave enough mm-hmm. to get through exactly. anything mm-hmm. and, and you can do this. And if you've got times before where they've felt anxious and it's been okay, show, talk to them about that. They're, so there are, yes. there are, there are, there's the, um, the history. Yes. The so, evidence. Show them the evidence. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So remember when you were really worried about this, when it did go wrong, remember it did go wrong for you then and you dealt with it beautifully. It was really hard. It mm-hmm. was really hard. But but those uncomfortable feelings and those bad feelings, it doesn't mean that it's a disaster. It just means you're actually going through something that's unfamiliar and that you're actually doing something brave. Right. And that's a good thing. And the more you do it, the more you'll be able to cope when things go wrong because things aren't always going to go wrong. Because you're training your brain and your body and the experience becomes the teacher. Yeah. Okay. So, So before we do our top tip, I just would like to ask, because we have a lot of teachers and coaches listening in, if you have a child who tends to maybe freeze up or has mental blocks, you know, in front of large, you know, the larger group, you know, they're, you know, bright and creative, but they don't, they don't show it in the large group or they have a mental block in front of a lot of people. What can you, what can you give us for advice to the teacher or the coach who's, who's dealing with that type of child? Oh, that's another really good question. I, anxiety locks up the brain. So during anxiety, the prefrontal cortex, which is that thinking part of the brain, as we've been saying, gets sent offline. So when kids, are, if kids are um, put on the spot, if they're, and, and it's things like I'm going to go around the class and I'm going to ask or I'm going to oh, choose gosh, right. people randomly. Oh, that makes me lock up. So, you know, that that sort of thing, you do that and what that's doing is just dumping these kids in a situation where their anxiety is probably going to go through the roof. They're not even hearing what you said. They probably don't even hear the question you've asked at that point. They're so worried. No, that's right. And sometimes they won't hear the instructions because their brain is locked. And then then they may think then the the teacher or the coach is thinking that they're being careless or rude or they're having a behavioral response when it's actually anxiety in that same sense that's right and so the the key with that is to actually um, wait for the anxiety to go but I do think kids need this information too when that amygdala when that fierce warrior thinks it needs to protect you one of the things it does is it shuts your thinking brain down and the way to bring your thinking brain back on again the easiest way is actually to breathe strong deep breaths because Strong, deep breathing Mm -hmm, is like a lullaby for your amygdala and it will bring your thinking brain, it will start to neutralize that special body fuel and it will start to send a message to your amygdala that you're okay. It will bring your thinking brain back online and you'll start to feel okay. You might still feel a bit worried, but it will unlock that thinking part of your brain and it will start to do what you need to do. That's brilliant for mental blocks especially. Yeah, it's why kids will sometimes, and kids need this information because otherwise what happens is 
the more they lock up, the more anxious they get. So the more they lock up. But what we need to do is come in there with the, I know that's okay. What happens is you're feeling anxious and your brain, your amygdala has just shut down your thinking brain just for a little while because it thinks it needs you to fight or flight a danger. Mm -hmm. You just need to be the boss of your brain again and strong, deep breathing is actually the best way to do that. Or if they're in a situation, physical activity, um, because physical activity is the natural end to the fight or flight response. It's all there to get us, um, you know, physically ready for a response. So if they run up and down the stairs or if they, that'll burn that um, neurochemical fuel. Mm -hmm. Because what happens if, if there is no, so in class when they're sitting down, um, or even if they're standing still on a soccer field or something mm-hmm. and they're anxious, that neurochemical fuel is surging, getting them ready to fight or flee. It's shutting down the thinking brain because it's going, don't think too hard about this, just get safe, just get safe, just fight, just run. Mm. That's basically, you know, in the cruder sense what's happening. Um, and and it's really fight, flight or freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when there's nothing to, to burn that neurochemical, that that chemicals um fuel off it builds up and and that's when anxiety feels away it does and what strong deep breathing does is it is it um switches that response off it starts to neutralize that surge so it and it brings everything back to the way it it should be but Mm -hmm. that kids need to understand that because what happens is they'll go into exams they'll get really anxious and honestly the number of times i've heard from kids and they go i knew what it was but i couldn't find the answer sure what it was go well of course and that's really understandable because your brain locked up but that's okay because it happens you know and this is how to unlock it by breathing well that was brilliant thank you I bet you a lot of teachers and coaches are saying thank you for that that's really helpful Um, at this point I would love to get your top tip so out of everything we spoke about or maybe not even what is your top tip to help kids with anxiety I think um I think the most important thing for anxiety is um, having them understand what happens in their brain because anxiety feels bad. Those bad feelings feed into the thoughts that, well, if I feel this way, something bad must be going to happen um, because that's that's how it feels. Those thoughts then feed back into the physiological response, which feeds back. What the information does is it short circuits it all mm-hmm. and it just presses reset. Mm-hmm. Oh, the reason I feel like this is because my amygdala, my brain, thinks there's something it needs to protect me from and it's surging me with this special body fuel to get me ready to fight or flight. Mm-hmm. I don't need to fight or flee, so it's making my um, – it's, it's, it's building up. Mm-hmm. It also – so, you know, the, the symptoms, so the reason I've got um, a racy heart isn't because I'm about to have a heart attack or isn't because there's something bad about to happen, but it's because my heart's pumping to get that fuel around my body. The, reasons, the reason my body feels, t- my legs and arms feel tight isn't because something bad's about to happen. It's not because I'm, I'm sick or anything like that. It's because my arms my brain's making my arms ready in case they need to fight mm. my legs ready in case they need to flee the reason a big one is um vomiting so kids and some kids do vomit mm. because during anxiety anything that's not absolutely essential for survival shuts down and one of those is um digestion mm-hmm. and that can actually make them 
feel mm, uh, butterflies yes. right now, like they're going to vomit. Um, so there's the, the, all those symptoms, and they're on my website. They're in the book, um, but they are on the website. Great, um, yes. If kids can understand where these symptoms come from, then then what we say is, so what's happening to you is really understandable and really normal. Mm-hmm. But what you need to do is be the boss of your brain so you can switch it off when, when there actually is no need to fight or flee. Um, and strong, deep breaths mm-hmm. are a really great way to be the boss of your brain again. And it'll stop those feelings. It'll help you stop those thoughts. It doesn't mean you won't worry. But the way I describe that information, I do think that information is key because if you think about it like um, we, they're walking around in a room without the lights on and they're bumping into things. Mm-hmm. So they've got this anxiety but they don't know why it's happening and it just keeps happening and there's no reason for it to happen, yet, for it to happen and it feels scary. When we switch the light on, those things are still there but they can navigate around them. So it's that information and it makes sense why they have to turn left instead of right to, you know, to, to swing sense. around. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and otherwise if, we, if they don't have that scaffold of that information, breathing doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. So, and it's why often if you tell someone to breathe when they're anxious, it won't do anything because an anxious brain is a really busy brain. Mm-hmm. So it often needs to be practiced um, out of anxiety so it can become a more automatic response um, and and it's easier to access. But also kids aren't going to practice breathing because they're like, well, we breathe all the time. That's silly. But you go, yeah, but you don't breathe like this all the time. Right, exactly. You actually have to breathe like this when you're <laughs> telling you really hard to breathe short, sharp breaths. Right. You need to go, no, actually, we're going to breathe strong deep breaths because we don't need this fight or flight right now so it's a lot of incredible information they you know that if if they have this information then they feel like they're in charge of their brains and they're able to do something when they start to feel anxious i think you're right i think kids love information and they do want to feel savvy especially when it's in terms of their own bodies and their own brains. So I really, I really appreciate all of that information. And I have no doubt that people will be interested in seeing all of your articles and, and everything that you've, you know, written about anxiety and your book. Can you give us the resource of the week, the, where they can go to get all of this information? So, um, on my site, um, heysigmund.com, there are probably two things one is um the book which is hey warrior now that's the scaffold that's all the information that we be it's a kid's book it's like a you know a five minute read Mm -hmm. um that's the information that they need and that information they might need it quite a few times so that book might need to be read quite a few times sure that information is also in an article um called anxiety in kids how to turn it around Mm -hmm. So if they just um, either Google or if they go to my site and go anxiety and ki- and in the search bar, which is in the top right corner, go anxiety and kids, how to, return- how to turn it around. That's actually the information that's in the book. Mm-hmm. It's just the book is more child friendly. So Well, and I'll also them. have the, the links to those articles on my show notes so people don't have to go fishing around. Okay, right. Yeah, it'll be right there and there'll be a link to your book as well. Um, so that people don't need to, you know, wonder what, what was it? What do I have to put in there? Um, so that they can get the information. And I think 
My goodness. I mean, I feel like I had a master class on anxiety today. I, I've, I feel so much more knowledgeable about how to counsel my own children about it and how to understand it within the body, what to do before, what to do during, and what to do after. And that is just an incredible gift. So thank you so very much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. I loved, you know, all the information that you gave about, you know, exactly what to say, because I think that's, that's the area that we get tripped up on and, and really what to do in that moment. Uh, It's so funny to me when I think about, you know, a child who's having a, a, a really profound response and, you know, you're, you're, you're saying things like, you know, calm down or, uh, mm-hmm. or, or, or reprimanding them or, and, and it is, you know, it just becomes silly because of course they've shut down and, and they're not hearing you at that point. Um, and it's, it's great to hear the, the reasoning behind it and also what you can do in that situation, just to put high beams on that, which is, you know, reminding them that they're safe, that you're there for them, that, you know, even if you're not on, you know, right next to them, that you are there for them when they're in need and, and, uh, you don't leave them alone, but you respect them and mm-hmm. what they need in that moment. So thank you very much. I, I really feel like we've all learned a whole lot. I, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. And you asked really great questions. I love when I'm asked great questions and I go, oh, yeah, I want people to know that. Oh, thank you. You're (laughs) so welcome. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. And we'll be talking to Karen too. And she'll be chiming in as well. So, you know, keep going, coming with your questions. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can hear what Karen has to say about anxiety. My goodness, like, I said, it's like a master class, and you really want to hear this information. And I'm also up on Instagram. So anybody who wants to chime in over there, we're all over the place. And we're going to be communicating about this podcast episode in every area. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. That's where the show notes will be. And some great podcasts are up there. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even when things are not going right, you know what? You've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know you're thinking back to different points when maybe you said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. Hey, we've all been there. Never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. And I'm right there with you. As there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.